things. And I just really believe the formula of life is going through this, discovering our own purpose, but doing that with other people, right? Got it. We're meant to just live with other people, help each other, and we just figure out new things. And you can still get to those places of power and prestige and things and money and success, but it's a different ethical path, I think, um, from what I've noticed. Okay, hi everybody, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I'm Dr. John Duffy, your host as always, and I appreciate the time that you protect for myself and my guests. Um, today, I can say unequivocally, I am sitting across from a guy who is one of the greatest inspirations I have ever met in my life. Jeff Wensler, welcome. Thanks, John. I appreciate being here. So let me tell you a little bit about Jeff. And, and, and I'm telling you, man, I am just scratching the surface here. You are going to be blown away by this guy. Jeff is the founder and executive director of Pivotal Directions. He is going to explain to you a little bit about what that is. Um, but what this organization does is wildly inspiring. He is the award-winning author of The Pivotal Life, which is a most excellent book. I already strongly encourage you to go out there and pick it up. He is the executive producer of uh, $10 Perspective, which is a documentary already selected into the Sarasota Film Festival. And we make it into what $10 Perspective actually refers to. Um, but before we get ahead of ourselves, um, Jeff, there is kind of an origin story to all of this. Um, if you don't mind sharing with our listeners, what brought you to all of this work where you reach out and, and help others and are inspired by others and use that inspiration to feed helping more people? How does it all start? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, I do a, a little bit of speaking as well as, you know, pretty much write in the book all about the experience that rocked my world. Um, I, I was a teenager just going about life, uh, chasing girls and playing sports. And, you know, one day something happened that was a pivotal moment. I was with my family and my big brother, and we were up at a wedding out of town and buying a gift for my birthday, actually. And we were in this store, store my brother fell over. And he's 25 years old. Uh, he struggled with drugs. Most people didn't know about that. And essentially, in a nutshell, he died in my arms on my 20th birthday. And that rocked my world. But it really was those days afterwards. I was sitting in front of his grave, and I was really bitter. I was upset about the short life. I was uh, very, you know, I was a little bummed obviously that it was my birthday and I had a lot of questions a lot of answers uh, that weren't um, coming forth so as I looked at it and I looked at that date of when he was born and then the date that was my birthday instead of getting fixed on those dates I had this moment of enlightenment I looked in between those two and I saw that space that little indescript little space and I realized at that moment that it doesn't matter how long we're on this spinning rock. It really is those pivotal moments that are in that space. And it's how we deal with them. That's your purpose. And I realized in that moment that I didn't have any purpose. I had just been going about life. And that actually got me to really think about what the meaning of life is. So I dropped out of college at the time temporarily. 
And I jumped on an airplane and I moved to Guatemala. And I taught kindergarten in this little village. And Hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on. Before we get to Guatemala, because that's, that is a, a massive leap. Take me back two minutes. Um, so before we even get to that gap, and it is striking to me that on that tombstone is your birthday mm -hmm. and his death day. Um, I, I don't think any of us, anybody within earshot of you and I, can relate uh, to this idea of having a, a brother, your brother five years older, die in your arms. So as far as you know, you go into this mall or, or this store, things are okay, right? Mm -hmm. And and he perishes in your arms. What what what, what is that like? I mean, what, what is that day, um, that moment like for you? Great question. It was a tug of war. I okay. truly felt that as I was holding on to him and he was having this massive heart attack, I truly felt that it was me trying to hold on to that big brother, that role model, to kind of hold him in tight. And at the same time, he was being pulled to, I'm a person of faith, uh, he was being pulled away. And Were you aware of that? Like, were you kind of consciously aware that, like, it's like, I want him here, God wants him? And not reason. at the time. Not yeah. at the time. Um, that happened at the hospital on the way to the hospital. You know, they do everything to, to try to keep you alive and, and uh, sure. or to bring you back, which was, you know, that was the case with him. So there was a moment that I had that was, you know, it was pretty radical in the, in the hospital waiting room. However, at that moment, yeah, just shock, just shock. And actually, we were in one of these uh, golf simulators. So it was like a little batting cage. And he had just hit a ball. And I was, you know, anxiously awaiting my turn. And when this all happened, it happened inside. He held on to the golf club rack on the wall, and he was fainting. It was happening in slow motion. I was just feet away, so I went in to, to, to actually grab him. And he's very tall like me. I'm 6'6", six, six, and, you know, he was a little taller at that time. And his weight and the, the rack of clubs just came off the wall and, and you know, fell into my arms and we just kind of tumbled to the floor and clubs are scattered around us and he was, you know, seizing and, and then a massive heart attack. So at that moment, it was shock. But because I was in this cage, we had family members that we were all up there for a wedding and we had family members outside of this little cage. And I felt just... I felt like a caged animal. I mean, I was sitting there watching everybody watch me. And I had this sense inside of me to ask the question that I don't think I wanted the answer to. And I yelled to his wife, who was on the other side of this cage simulator, feet away. And I just said, Karen, what is he on? And just immediately she goes, crack cocaine. Now, my mom a, was a reading specialist growing up. My dad is a successful businessman. Right. Um, my sister, you know, was finishing her PhD in chemistry, you know, just a good church going family and from the suburbs and to have this dark secret come out so publicly with all of these gawkers, people just all were gathering around and I'm in this cage and well, it feels almost like Shakespearean, like so dramatic, right? You've got your family members all surrounding, watching you, holding your brother. Mm -hmm. It's a very dramatic, like, kind of jaw-dropping scene. And strangers. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask Karen, what is he on? Right. Knowing full well he's on something, huh? Right. Yeah. So, you know, he had struggled with that for some years, but really it was a family secret for the most part, you know? And 
to have to then turn to this off-duty angel, you know, in clothes that weren't doctor's clothes. You know, as a doctor, it was just got up in the morning to go shopping at the mall. And next thing you know, they're trying to perform CPR. And they at first thought he was just having a seizure. And then they look to me and they're like, what's going on? And that's when I had said to Karen, what is he on? And, you know, when she told me, I had to go and share this deep, dark secret with these strangers, with people watching. My big brother that should be a role model to me is dead on the floor or moments away from being finally dead because of, you know, making these decisions in life. Right. That's, that's tough for a little brother to deal with. Yeah, it's not lost on me that you are his little brother by five years. That's, mm-hmm. That feels to me, no, having worked with a lot of families, that five-year gap feels like just enough for him to be your hero, mm-hmm. you know, or, or somewhere in there. Right. What, did, he, did he hold that status? He did, and just in size. He was 6'6", right? So I am 6'6 now, but I'm probably... Jeff is a tall man. <laughs> yeah. I'm, pro- I'm, pro- I'm probably, you know, 6'5 and three quarters. So I always... And would... he, he nudged you just a hair, huh? So as I grew up, we would, you know, do the thing where you measure up and, you know, with each other, and he was always just a hair taller. And actually, as a little kid, he was a lot taller. So he truly was somebody I looked up to. Mm-hmm. And you know, wanted to be like you know, and yeah. wanted his love. And yeah. here it is, love being kind of poured out in my in my arms. Um, I've worked with a couple people over the years who've lost siblings, who felt like, ooh man, my days are numbered. Like you know, kind of the, the, this feeling, like you know, um, boy, when I hit twenty five, or maybe I make it to forty five, maybe I make it, but I'm I probably don't have a long life ahead of me. Um, and it's just this kind of transitive property, I think is what it's called. You know, like, did you ever have that feeling like, wow, could this be me? Or for the grace of God, could I have been the guy who was on the cocaine? I mean, that's why I wrote the book with the title, The Pivotal Life, because I learned something that day. And that is just like that, you know, life can be just snatched away from you. So you can't live in the past. You can't live in the future. It's about the moment right now. And that was an absolute um, blessing. You know, there's that saying, yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery, but today's a gift. That's why they call it the present. Mm. And very kind of zen-like, you know, just live in the moment. And I struggle looking backwards and with regrets. And I, I forecast the future a little too much at times. And But really what I learned that day is we only control today. Right. And this moment, right? You and me sitting here right now, that's what we got. Right. So so um, having known, uh, for a guy my age, an, uh, an uncanny number of 20-year-old men, um, I'm thinking not everybody would take the death of his older brother and be inspired to live an inspired, pivotal life and go to Guatemala and teach school children. Quite the contrary. I think most people would sink into something like a depression, um, maybe a little bit of victim mentality and, you know, um, drop into drinking, smoking weed. You know what I mean? Like there's all sorts of traps I think a guy can fall into in the wake of that kind of a loss. This isn't fair. I can't believe this happened to me and my parents and my family and my brother who I love. Why, why does Jeff Wensler pivot in the direction he did? Right. So that happened to me. The days, the the night of the funeral, I did his eulogy. And the night of the funeral, the next night, the next night, you know, it was, uh, 
you know, right afterwards, every person was doing toasts with shots. You know, we'd be in a bar and everybody would just say, you know, to Joe's memory. And, you know, it was like night after night, I was drunk, you know, I'd wake up and, and I was just in a daze. Mm -hmm. But really, it was that moment of, you know, when I was standing in front of the, the headstone, you know, they don't put in the headstone right away after, you know, they bury you. And so it was a little bit of time later. And that's when I sat there and I said, I don't have a purpose. If my life goes today or tomorrow, what am I going to, what do I amount to? And I realized it sure wasn't in the bottom of a bottle. Right, right. And so, and so you decided, okay, whatever that dash is on Joe's tombstone, mm -hmm. I want it to mean something on mine. Correct. I want to fill in that blank Correct. with some, with a good story. Right. Right. Okay. Absolutely. So, so now take us to Guatemala. So, <laughs> how, how do we get to Guatemala from that? <laughs> you know. Right. You know, because you're in Wisconsin. Why not? You know, like I'm gonna go to more Brewers games. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Got to see the Packers win a few. You know. <laughs> you know, I was raised in a family where very selfless people. My parents, you know, just tremendous, you know, givers in the community and were really involved in things. So, you know, everybody was really depressed and dealing with things their own way. But there was something deep down inside that, like I said, it was a, a moment of enlightenment. And I think that purpose can happen when you're not, it's not a woe is me thing. It's, I had to get outside of myself. And I had enough little moments in my life where helping other people answers were there. I just wasn't focused on my own pain or my own, um, you know, despair or whatever in anything, right? You could be stressed out about anything. And, you know, all of a sudden you go and you play basketball with your friends and then it's about a team. So I think that spirit of service, maybe it was going to soup kitchens and I realized, wow, people have it worse than I do. And mm. for whatever reason at that moment, um, I just thought that, you know, helping other people, but I'm a radical person. It's an all or nothing type of thing. So instead of the soup kitchens, I had, there was a family at our church that, you know, send money down to Guatemala. And so that sense of adventure, I was like, you know, go big or go home. And the funny thing is, is I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> so right. Here, here I you didn't know where the Spanish you were teaching. Yeah. So I get plopped into this little mountain village in Guatemala and Man, there's stories upon stories, and I tell them in my book. And yeah, it was it was an amazing moment of humility. And where humor. where where does the radicalism come in? You know, like I, I read Anderson Cooper's book, right? Anderson Cooper lost a brother, like you. I, I lost a brother as well, mm -hmm. um, and was inspired, I think, in part to do what I do um, in light of that loss. Anderson Cooper lost a brother to suicide, and um, and he says he's drawn toward war zones like he he hates being in the he doesn't like being in the newsroom he wants to be all the way at the far end so you know instead of finding a way like okay i'm gonna stay here in milwaukee in this area and raise some money and send it down to guatemala and that's gonna be my and i'm gonna make the the joe wensler memorial fund right right, right. you go there right right nobody else is going right and you decide i'm gonna go teach and I don't know Spanish. <laughs> and I don't teach. <laughs> and I don't teach. I'm 20 right, years old. Right, right. <laughs> I don't teach. I don't know Spanish. I've never been to Guatemala. Um, right? There's a million reasons not to do this. Right, right. Um, you're a madman. Um, is it that sense of adventure? And where does that come from? You know, that's probably DNA to some extent. I mean, when I'm bored, right, when I was young, it was all about pushing the envelope a little bit. And when I did that, it was fun. 
You know, it was radical because I, you know, just stay up later and, you know, and you know, just go a little bit further with everything. So, but that wasn't always for the good. And right. I think I've learned in life now, you can step out of your comfort zone, live on the edge um, and be somewhat responsible about it. But there is just gifts and riches outside of that comfort zone. And I didn't think too much about it, right? I was actually taken into this little school and cinder block room, one light bulb hanging down, all these what I called horizontally, you know, uh, or vertically challenged uh, little kids. And I'm this tall white guy, first white guy to be in this little village. And they're all just gawking up at me. Because you're an alien, right, to yeah, them? I mean, <laughs> absolutely. So people looking in the one window, other kids from, you know, the older grade. And, and the, the principal hands me this marker. The nicest thing they had in this entire school was a marker board. They had gotten rid of their chalkboard. And he hands me this marker and he goes, okay, teach. And that was the extent of his English. And I had a little book that said how to speak Spanish in 30 minutes a day in my back pocket. They didn't have the, the how to speak English in 30 minutes a day in theirs. And I, ha I held on to this marker and I'm thinking to myself, I am not a teacher. I don't know how to speak this language. And they're looking to me to say something in that moment. And I'm like, God, how did I find myself in this position? This is crazy. This is where a lot of us abandon ship, right? I mean, you, if, if you had found your way back to the airport and flown home and said, you know what, experiment aborted, didn't work out, nobody would blame you, really. I mean, right? And, you know. But I couldn't get back. I couldn't. <laughs> I mean, they dropped me off and they said, good luck and give us a call if you need anything. The one person who did speak English who dumped me off in this village and Honestly, they, they didn't have phone lines, so there was no one I could call. I didn't have my clothes, John. My clothes didn't come off the airplane, just a whole bunch of deflated basketballs and soccer balls and toothbrushes and some school supplies I took there, but my clothes didn't come off, so I was actually wearing a Guatemalan man's clothes. <laughs> Everything about this is crazy. It had to be the tallest Guatemalan man. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> yeah. If you can see me right now, no, it's, this is where the shirt ended, not my forearm. So, yeah, I didn't, I, I turned, I looked at the, the kids, I looked at the, the chalkboard or the, the marker board, I looked back at the kids and then I said, geez, you know, I, my, I was flush, you know, they, I wasn't white all of a sudden, my neck was all red. And, and then I had this spirit of humor and I said, maybe this is why I'm supposed to be here. I'm just totally humble, humble to my core. I have to start over. I have to reboot here. Mm -hmm. So I turned to them and I just go really quietly. I'm like, uno. And they all say uno. And I go one. And they're like, guan. And I'm like, two. And they're like, two. And I'm like, those. So it, it, by the time I got up to like eight, they understood what I, where I was going with this. I was teaching them numbers, right? And they're like, eight. And they're just <laughs> shouting it out. And I just, in that moment, John, I felt like a teacher. That's where the teacher in me was born. And wow. I consider myself a mentor now in my own way, a teacher, a mentor, a, a, a coach, you know, of everything I do from that day forward. So the pivotal moment of my brother's death in my arms, the pivotal moment in front of his grave, the pivotal moment of kind of stepping radically out of your comfort zone in front of those little kids. And I, I went back actually this year with a group of students. Every year I take students to, that's one of the countries I take them. And that school now is just completely like just falling apart and there's no kids in there anymore. And 
I, the door happened to be open to the schoolyard. I found my way in there and I had two students with me and I walked in there and there's cobwebs and it's dusty and all the same. Everything else though was the same in that tiny little room. And I shared with my students that, I said, that's the story that you read in my book as a part of this, uh, this leadership experience we were on. And I just welled up with tears. You I know? bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. And, and was this um, born of grief, do you think? Like the, the, the whole mission um, uh, of going out uh, down there. If you hadn't lost your brother in that way at that, on that day, do you think you would have, you, you, you think you'd be an investment banker now? You know, like yes. what you yes. do? Yes. I mean, I was, my undergrad was um, criminology and law studies. So I was studying to be, um, for my LSAT, to be a lawyer. And very shortly after that, um, I was offered a job, just the network of the suburbs, and somebody um, had connected me with somebody in buying annuities down in Atlanta. And they offered me a job that was, um, you know, $100,000 a year, mm -hmm. you know, when I was really young. And, Big money. And that, I turned that down because I had these experiences. Um, yeah, I really, truly think that I would be driving a BMW around the suburbs and right. probably have a good wife and good kids and, you know. Leading that all-American life, yeah. And living in the suburban bubble and not really ever knowing what riches are outside of the comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so a lot of us would do our Guatemalan uh, school visit and we would teach our class and we might do that for a month or two and say, okay, experiment <laughs> over. You know, that's it. Now, now, now time for the Beamer. Right. You did not do that. Right. Pivotal direction was directions. The comp the organization was born of this somehow. Right. I was walking down uh, like a cow path or something in this village one day and people would yell, profe, you know, short for, you know, professor in Spanish. And, and I, I truly was immersed in this community, and it was just a wonderful thing. And in that moment, I can just think about it as if it was yesterday. Um, I was truly happy. I found happiness. I found perspective. I found passion. Uh, I found purpose. And then there was another thought that I had, two thoughts. The first one was these kids would kill to have access to the education that I could. Mm -hmm. So I said, I have to go back. I have to you know, fulfill that potential that I've been graced. I have to provide them with that, with that education. Well, myself yeah. first, you know, you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. Right, said, right. I have to go and take, take advantage of that. That was number one. Number two was I need to introduce people in that bubble to people like this. People have to see this amazing, um, struggling people that live in different parts of the world that have so much hope and hard work ethic and resilience. And joy, and right? I remember you describing joy in your book. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like, wow, you're describing like kind of this bleak third world existence, right? You know, one light bulb in the schoolhouse. And mm -hmm. you, I remember you described the bed that you slept in, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, if you can picture what the, the bed a 6'6 six, six guy sleeps in, in Guatemala. <laughs> um, it, it, the, the book is a joy to read, and I, and, and I encourage you to pick it up to just get the color underneath all of this. But, um, you know, um, do you, did you get the impression, or and do you still have it, that Boy, we in, in in privileged, you know, white upper middle class America, we're missing it somehow. We're 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 doing it wrong, and somehow it, it, people in impoverished, you know, um, 
parts of the world where they feel real gratitude in, in the moment um, and joy in the moment, you think like, man, maybe they've got the answers and we don't. Yeah, I mean, we've developed our system, I guess, to revolve around money. And, you know, it's like keeping up with the Joneses, the golden handcuffs or where, you know, you're on the hamster wheel, you know, just reaching out for something that when you achieve it, then you're reaching out again for something else. And I just really believe the formula of life is going through this, discovering our own purpose, but doing that with other people. Right, Got we it. were meant to just live with other people, help each other, and we just figure out new things. And you can still get to those places of power and prestige and things and money and success, but it's a different ethical path, I think, um, from what I've noticed. Because the people I know that have had great successes in life, they struggle with some of the same things, broken hearts and lost jobs and, you know, children that, you know, go off and make different decisions mm -hmm. and, you know, all that kind of loss, we're, we all experience it. But when it's not focused on money and, and tangible objects and it's on, you know, if it's focused on family and friendship and helping each other, your neighbor, just like they say that African proverb of it takes a village to raise a child, you know, now in our bigger houses, there's not as much of a village, you know? There's less kids out on my block than there were when I was a kid. Right, right, you know? right. So there's less people that are mentoring and helping our children out. Some people won't, they won't agree with, with you know, my words, but what's fascinating is there's a number of these families, a number of families from, let's say, the white suburbs that have disposable income and they can provide their kids with amazing opportunities, but they kind of turn them over to myself and my organization to take them to the Guatemalas of the world, you know? And Why do they do that? So so you, you started Pivotal Directions, and I cut you off a moment ago because <laughs> you were in the middle of saying, you know, like there's two things I needed to do. One was I needed to get provide the education. First I had to ed educate myself, then I wanted to go down there, educate these kids. Mm -hmm. There was a second point you were looking to make. I had to bring the people from the white suburban bubble, let's say, to meet these amazing people in these impoverished areas. And somebody came to me who was very wealthy, an incredible family, incredible man. And he said, because he knew that I had these experiences, he said, Jeff, I have this eighth grade boy who could use perspective. And I looked at him and I said, well, what eighth grade boy doesn't need perspective, right? <laughs> All right. But this, right. this family had really come from incredible privilege. And he said, I just think that my son could use some perspective. And I believe that rolling up his sleeves and getting his hands dirty and, and helping out other people, that that will give him perspective. And the subtitle of my book is A Compass for Discovering Purpose, Passion, and Perspective. And I truly believe that if you can provide a unique opportunity for somebody to have perspective, that that has the power to inspire, that ignites passion. And from that passion, you ask yourself, why am I passionate about that? That leads you to purpose. So that is kind of the model of what I wanted to do for that young man and now for hundreds of other, you know, young people. And, now, and, you know, and literally hundreds, hundreds, right? How, hundreds. How, how, many, how many kids have you taken to various places in, in the world to uh, have this kind of experience? Well, that, first, that, first th that first group was just a group of 12 boys. Mm -hmm. And the first two, 
that came from, you know, these very successful backgrounds, wonderful families, but they just said, hey, take our boys, give them some perspective, get them out of this. This isn't reality, living in the suburbs with all this abundance. And the first two boys wouldn't look at me in the eyes, John. They wouldn't shake my hand. They just were like, oh, this is a terrible idea. They were my pissed. dad's or my mom's. Oh, totally yeah. pissed. Yeah. And on the, the ninth day, I had taken him to this garbage dump because I said to the dad, I said, you know what? It's not going to be enough to take him to a soup kitchen in our inner city. That's just not enough. Those are amazing experiences, but they needed something pivotal. They needed something that was going to be jaw-dropping, that's going to be radical. And I said... And immersed, huh? You want them in that culture. Absolutely. And there was one place I've taken a number of people all over the globe, but there was one community. It's a landfill community in Kingston, Jamaica, and it is incredible. It is it has the most amazing people that are just in the dust and the smell of a landfill. And they are so hopeful and resilient. And I said to the man, I have a crazy idea. I'll take him to this landfill. But on the ninth day of doing that with those 12 boys, those first two actually came up to me and said, Jeff, when are we going back? And then the moms were like, wow, our kids are just fueled. They're passionate about this. And well, it's oh, so when different. are we going back to the landfill? We're going back to the landfill. So then the moms, they just kind of gathered and said, this is worthy of a nonprofit. And I had done corporate sales for just about five years uh, while I started a family, and I hated every minute of it. In my book, I throw it under the bus, and I'm sure there's <laughs> a lot of good corporate jobs out there, but the bottom line and, and the, the, all of the numbers, that just didn't fuel me. It didn't fire me up. And I just thought, geez, a lot of these kids are very much like me before my brother passed away. It's all about themselves. It's bigger, better, faster, quicker, and, and things that make them personally happy, not, and not really thinking about the person to the right or left of them. But these boys had just all of a sudden gotten addicted like I had with this, the people there and in this community. And that's how Pivotal Directions got started. So now I take, and not just kids from wealthy backgrounds, but it's not cheap to go international. And now people are just throwing their kids um, our way to say, you know, give them some perspective. And then the kids want to go back. And it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's really an amazing thing. And I'm sure anybody out there who's done service and has reached out to others they realize by in giving, you receive. You truly do. It's karma. It yeah. really is. You yeah. get tenfold. We go down there with projects to help out, and they they give us so much more in return. And listen, any, anybody who's listening who thinks, wow, this guy's you know um, super idealistic, such a throwback. This guy, Jeff, is earnest about this. He means every word he's saying. You can see it in his eyes, I assure you. Um, and And the kids are super inspired. It is it is absolutely true. They want to go back. They they live for it to some extent, right? It fuels them. Um, I um I, I work with so many people. Um, when I when you and I both do a lot of public speaking. When I talk to people in our generation, my generation, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, I often get this. Uh, th- these kids, they're 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 selfish. They only care about themselves. And I always think. Oh, if you could see your kid in the midst of service to somebody else, you know, almost any kid to give, give me, give me the biggest deadbeat 14 year old, you know, <laughs> that kid in, in the midst of service is a different person. Am I, am I wrong about that? Cause you've worked with that kid many times over, right? Absolutely. We get, we get all sorts of kids, you know, we will get the knuckleheads and <laughs> we also will get just naive kids that just kids, young people, adults. We don't know what we don't know. 
So we don't even know we're being selfish until we step out of our comfort zone and we're placed in front of somebody who might be in need. Um, and then we realize we have our own needs, right? You're helping somebody and you realize, wow, you know, it just felt good to help other people. But yeah, I've seen all different types of young people and, and even adult volunteers. And often it's the exact same thing that they didn't even realize the potential they have. They didn't even realize the blessings they have. And then they come back at a higher level. The, the so you learn this gratitude huh, for oh, what you have. and Absolutely. Yeah. Gratitude, is, gratitude is a huge piece, but not the only piece, right? And, you know, there's a young man who's, uh, you know, a co-director of the, the film that I just produced. And we both went to live in the landfill community and kind of a walk a mile in a person's shoes. Every time these students would come back, and he was one of mine that started at 16 years old, and every time he would come back and others would come back, they would say, not only do they want to go back, but they really felt transformed. And they saw the same thing. They're like, we have to tell this story to more people. And he actually had come back and he developed his own thing in the community that's like a little nonprofit and raising school supplies. And that just kept growing and growing and growing. And he just wanted to go back and, and continue to not only help out the people, but he was addicted to the nature of these people. So we decided to tell the story, go and live and work there. My students that I take down there, we don't live there. We don't live in this landfill community, this shantytown, uh, truly on the edge of the piles of decaying trash. And, and do they make their like their 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 dwelling out of that trash? Is that absolutely, yeah, absolutely? Yeah. I mean, they're incredibly resilient. It's amazing. Yeah. But they all are, you know, call them scavengers. Um, you know, they're just really good at picking through and finding the things that they can recycle and use for their own home, uh, clothes, things that they can sell. Often, the vast majority of people somehow are affected by that landfill. And unfortunately, you know, I've been in a position because I've spent so much of my life going down there that um, I hear the stories behind all the closed doors of things that they would be too proud to share with anybody mm, else. That's right. why I think our organization is very unique, and that is that they've had to actually get food from the landfill and feed their families. Right. And to sit there, and as a person now, I'm a single father of three children, and to think Sometimes it's tough, you know, being a single dad, right, working for a nonprofit. But I just think of all of, again, the abundance that we have without even thinking about it. We can just go and throw down a credit card and get groceries. Sure. And down there, um, you know, I'm hearing a mom with her kids sitting at her feet tell me about how she had to get a chicken to wash it off with bleach that she got off of a garbage truck that was already expired and thrown away from a grocery store. And they're very resilient how they go about it, but that she had to actually cook that for her, for her kids. And you see the tears in her eyes, and it has made me a tremendously better father and, and with more perspective. You it know? has. And she did that out of love. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. And, and I don't hear um, this hint of, a hint of bitterness or, or, or bile or angry or even unhappiness when you describe these people. Oh, my gosh. I, if I could just pick up my phone right now and just it's they're so resilient that even technology, um, they figured that out. And they have ways of communicating through WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or, you know, that type of thing. I could actually pick up the phone right now and call one of them and just let you hear from them. Just say, how are you doing today? And they'll just be like, I'm blessed. 
and <laughs> I, I think they're very, very Pentecostal community. So uh-huh. they'll invite our students to their little Pentecostal church, and it goes on for about three, three hours, and it's all the waving of the hands, and you know, and very uh, dramatic, and very dramatic. Yeah, yeah. But there was one thing that happened at one of their services that I sat there in awe, and it, again, pivotal moment and changed my life. And that is, is they passed a basket around you know, for putting in coins and in money. Uh-huh. Every person, John, put something in that basket. These people have nothing, and they still found a way to put something because they believe somebody has it worse than them. Wow. You walk outside of the door of this little church, and you it, it's a shadow of a the largest garbage dump in the entire Caribbean is in Kingston. And Kingston, up till 10 years ago, was known as the murder capital of the world and is one of the you know, was known as one of the most dangerous places. And on the other side of where the most lavish resorts are of the island is their their capital city. And everybody says, don't go there. And then Mm -hmm. when you go there, everybody says, you're crazy for going to Riverton. And that's where my friends are. No that's kidding. second family. These people, it's they're the furthest from being dangerous. It must be unbelievable. And I, and I can feel the privilege in the room here to get to know these people, my friends, right? So most of us would, uh, I read Beyond the Beautiful Forevers, which is about um, kind of a landfill community near an airport in India, right? Mm. And and it's like one of those things where you drive by and you kind of, you know, you hold your nose until you're past it because these aren't people, you know? Like there's no personalities down here. This is just a collection of mm-hmm. human beings, right? You know, like, but but not, not anybody you, you'd ever care about. You want to get past them. You know what I mean? It's like the homeless guy on the street. Just walk past him. Don't look. Look straight ahead. And you have, in a way, I, I envy you in the weirdest way just because I'm like, you know these people. You know you, and, and they're your friends. You care about them. They care about you. You know them by name. What is that like? I mean, so few of us have that experience, man. Yeah, you know, I think that I have to back up just a little bit. Something you said that you know really kind of tipped something in my own head, and that is, is think of the modern day high school cafeteria. You have the jocks, you have segregated tables, uh-huh. you have people who are in theater, and right. they might you know kind of hang with each other. Yeah, cliques. You got the just emo clicks. kids. You got yeah, yeah, right. And so the garbage dump is just another clique. It's in. I think I did have a couple experiences when I was young to realize I was sitting with the athletes. And I realized, I don't know how it was, but there might have been a kid at another table. And I had an interaction with them, and they would have never been allowed to be at the jocks table. Right. And at that moment, I think I realized that, you know, there's just good people everywhere and that we're scared of the unknown. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I live in the suburbs just north of there, is the second most segregated city in America. Most people don't even realize that. I did not know that. And people from the suburbs skip right over the vast majority of the central city to get to a Brewers game, a Bucks game, you know, to go to the Symphony or whatever, some nice restaurants downtown. And there really is no mixing it up. And we do that as a world. The things that are going on in the world with you know, politics and terrorism, and you know, we just make judgments on people. Right. And you step out of that comfort zone, and you will be surprised that moms love their children just as much, whether you have a money in the bank or not. You know, people, people are just good by nature. And yeah, things go. There are still bad people in Kingston, and maybe in this landfill community, they're survivalists. 
you know, we don't flash around nice watches and things like that. Um, that puts us in a bad position. But when you dignity, right? Respect. They do a thing where they, when they shake hands, they do this thing with, with their thumbs where they, I'll press my thumb against yours as I'm shaking your hand. And it means respect. And it's powerful. And you, I'm you, watching it and it yeah, takes my breath away a little bit. You, yeah. you get respect from somebody and that's a whole nother level. And I'm going to, one other thing, like, so as a part of this film, where I basically lived there and worked with the people each day to see how tough their life was, but to highlight their spirit while they did the work. I rode on the back of a garbage truck with a friend of mine who's a garbage truck driver. And they don't have any garbage bags in Kingston. So they just, everything is decaying and it's in the 90 degree heat and there's cockroaches and maggots and you name it. And I'm sitting there and I'm picking this stuff up and you know, and, and putting it into these bins to then get into the, the garbage truck. Right. And I'm riding, six foot six white guy, downtown Kingston, Jamaica, riding on the back of this garbage truck. But anyway, that's in the film. But when I went back there to show the final product of this documentary film to the people that were in the film, I wanted to get their blessing. And while I was on that trip, I said to the man, I said, I want to ride with you again today but not with a film crew. And he's like, why? That's crazy. And I said, this is... You're, already, you're, like, you're the hero. You're the hero in the film, I man. I go, you're yeah. my hero in life. I go, you have seven dependents. You work for $10 a day. And you. this humbles me to the core. You inspire me. These people, I could get emotional talking about it right now because that amazing. And I love my friends. You know, they're hardworking you know, God-fearing, family-oriented people that are my neighbors and, and all of that. But um, these people have a, just a different perspective, a different passion. It's hardened, and it's yet it's, it's, it's soft. They call me Uncle Jeff, and I feel like a true uncle to them. You know, it's, it's amazing. It is, it is beyond beautiful to hear you talk about these people and um, you, I'll tell you what's throwing me in, in a way that is kind of bringing tears to my eyes is you're calling them your friends and I'm thinking kind of like about how I'm thinking about politics to be honest and how harsh things are globally and how divisive everything is and here I'm sitting across from a guy who realizes oh no 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 like you know the, these are everybody's everybody's person and, mm -hmm. and 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 worthy of that of that that thumb to thumb respect and mm -hmm. dignity right you know mm -hmm. um I, I I just love that so much and and I feel like it's so missing and there's one other thought I, I feel compelled to share so I work with a lot of young people like you do and oftentimes um, on the back end of of depression, anxiety, way too much stress uh, about grades or about Snapchat and how many likes I'm getting for the picture I'm putting up. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, we, we will send kids because um, just one-on-one uh, -on -one therapy isn't doing enough. We'll send kids on these therapeutic wilderness adventures, right? So you're going to go to to do some individual therapy. You're going to spend a night out in the woods alone. And after two months of that, you come back and you're going to feel more whole. But even that experience is about me. It's not about them. It's not about everyone. It's not about other people, right? So there's something insular even about that, even about going out to the middle of nowhere, Utah. You're not getting the experience that you're getting a few years earlier. Do you feel like 
do you feel like your work is a pretty good preemptive strike to keep people off of my couch? <laughs> I think that's my question. Absolutely. Yet, I will say that the re-entry is very difficult. It oh, is. Yeah. What's so, that like? So I have students that well, now we bring in people like you afterwards, and maybe I'll just make my little pitch for you to be a part, <laughs> part of this. How am I going to say no to this, <laughs> Jeff, man? You're but, going to Guatemala and helping people? You know, you come back <laughs> from working in a landfill community where there's so much happiness, and you come back into, let's say, your high school, and everything is about what you wear and, and uh, you know, your athletic abilities or the grades you make and you know, are you an AP class or not? And how good looking you are, how yeah, many likes you get, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Your, your weight, your speed, yes. your height. And then all of a sudden that is kind of depressing because who can sustain that, right? It's the Facebook facade, right? Yeah. We don't take pictures of ourselves in the morning when we roll out of bed and we're grumpy and all scattered and everything like that and say, welcome to the world on publicly on social media. We only put our best things forward. And that's tough for people that, you know, are watching all that. We just can't sustain that image in life. And so we had high school students, let's say, and even some of our adult volunteers, and they come back and they're just looking at the world through a different lens. And they're saying, I'm not feeling happy, even if I have the nicer house, or I am the fastest person on the team or best looking or whatever. And they realize that deep down inside that stuff doesn't matter. But they are inspired by other people who are the opposite, and yet they have this spirit of joy. And to them, they're wrestling with that. They're mm -hmm. trying to understand. And that reentry is it's a psychological process. I right? can imagine. Yeah. Right, right. It's gotta it's gotta be um, such such a culture clash within the mind, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I, I I can appreciate that you attend to it too. Um, before we run out of time. You have a documentary that has not yet been released, right? That is, it was just released. It was in just the released. Sarasota Film Festival. Okay, right, right. In the Sarasota Film Festival, congratulations. That feels like a big, big deal. Um, and it's got to be pretty cool to be a film producer, right? And, yeah, right? and, and all that. Um, $10 perspective means something. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about the film? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for letting me talk about it. Um, very humbling. We made this film just to tell the story to a broader audience, not just our students that go down there. And it was meant to be an educational resource to start the conversation that poverty doesn't define what it means to be human. And oftentimes, it, it seems to wealth defines us. And we wanted to tell that story and just put it on for free and not make any money off the people or anything and just put it on our website and let it be an educational tool to get people talking. And it got picked up by the Sarasota Film Festival in April for its world debut. And it was such a humbling honor to be able to take 10,000 bucks, probably the least expensive film that was even in an indie type of festival. It and only cost you 10,000 bucks to make. $10,000. And I was sitting on red carpets at the release of this film <laughs> with people who had Oscars that right. all of a sudden decided, hey, let's tinker with independent films, yeah. right? Because this isn't the, the big, huge budget film. Sure. But there were people, you know, 50,000, 75, 100, all the way up to probably a million bucks on these different types of short films and feature, uh, feature length films. I'm hanging out with people that just inspire me, just artistic approaches to viewing the world. And I just was addicted to it. And I was proud, though, that we weren't going to win any awards. But I was sitting there saying, I did this with $10,000. Amazing. And I could do that all day long. Every family in that community, and probably in many others, 
they have a story to tell and it's that incredible but the 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 title $10 perspective is based off the fact that most people don't know this almost 80% of the globe 80% John live on less than $10 a day that's, that's almost 6 billion people i see that as 6 billion opportunities to be inspired by people or to reach your hand out and to assist in the ways that you can that's phenomenal so if if 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day then we're all in the 1% of the 1%. Right, just no by kidding. Being here My today, God, right, right. right. And that's, that's impressive. But that, to me, is the wealth that they have is incredible. Yeah. So now when I'm in a grocery store, if, this bottle of water that I'm drinking, if this was in an airport at or an athletic event, it would be about $5. Sure. So two bottles of water would be what this man, my friend, who drives his truck six days a week to support seven people in his house, um, and to see what he does for that $10. How he makes I, it work. Right. I'll never look at a $10 bill ever again. And don't get me wrong. I want a lot of $10 bills. Yeah, yeah. It'll no, help I get out it. my family and my family can then hopefully it'll trickle on down. And my daughter already just turned 13 and she goes, Dad, can I take over Pivotal Direction someday? And I just, you know, <laughs> my heart left. Oh, know? my God. That must be the most. Your kids must benefit so enormously from this mission of yours, right? You must you must be raising good people. I try, but you know, kids are kids, right? So <laughs> when they don't finish their food at, at dinner, and I will find myself being like, "There's a starving child in Africa," you and know? you know this, and then not, of, this isn't hyperbolic. And then one of my kids will say, "Well, why don't we send it to them, <laughs> the leftovers?" You're going, Dad. You may yeah. as well just bring it along. But what's really cool is we're rolling out something this next year, which is going to allow um, younger kids even to go, and some parents are going to take their kids. So I'll be leading down some parents with young kids and to prove all of this I am taking my 9 10 and 13 year old um, and their mom who is my ex-wife like we get along really well because it's so important to it takes a village to raise a child and we're gonna be taking down some other kids and even some of their parents are like wow we want to experience this with our kids but to think that a nine-year-old is going to be you know, volunteering in a landfill community, he won't know the difference. They right. don't even know color at that age. Right, like, right, right. He's just going to want to play soccer with these kids that need love. They just don't have a voice down there. They just don't have big brothers, you know. And maybe that's where I, I find so much emotion down there is I essentially am being able to kind of live out that role of big brother or uncle to so many that that just need such simple things. But then in return, the karma piece, they inspire me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, to share this with my kids, that would be a whole nother level of uh, just awesomeness. I, that, that is that is beautiful. I, I have every <laughs> every faith that, that they will um, be wildly inspired and humbled like you are. Um, Jeff, you are one of the few people I know who I'm humbled to be around. You know, um, there, there aren't many people um, in our little corner of the universe who really, really walk the walk and, and live a charitable life. And what's cool about you is to hear you talk about charity, to hear you talk about doing for other people, it doesn't sound like that kind of condescending, patronizing, like, you know, let's go help the poor. Correct. You're, you're, you're saying... I want to go down and see my friends, you know, like see, right. see what's going on, right. you know, like, right. and, 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 and to, to that end, you are just one of the greatest inspirations in my life. And I, and I mean that sincerely, like I am, I am so grateful 
that you are here and offering um, my audience this broader worldview and this mandate of lead the extraordinary life, do the interesting thing, right? You know, so with that little gap between those years on your tombstone, fill it with something cool, fill it with something interesting touch other people's lives. That's where the good shit is, right? I mean, there's, there's no getting around <laughs> that. that. So um, so uh, I want to know more about uh, Pivotal Directions. I want to read The Pivotal Life. I want to see this film. How do I find you? I want my kids <laughs> to be part of, of your mission. How do, I, how do I find you? How do I reach out to you? What do I do? So the book, uh, The Pivotal Life, A Compass for Discovering Purpose, Passion, and Perspective, is uh, can be found on Amazon, Kindle, um, online, Barnes & Nobles, um, that whole gamut. It also, you can go to my website, which is uh, for the book, and it's called thepivotallife.com, thepivotallife.com. And then the organization, the nonprofit organization called uh, Pivotal Directions, that is pivotaldirections.org. We operate out of Milwaukee, but we have a Sarasota chapter. We continue in Florida. We continue to grow as people just witness what it is that we're doing and realizes that, you know, they want to have that same unique opportunity for perspective, which yep. is going to inspire you, which is going to create these moments of why am I passionate about that? And then that leads to purpose and their boot camp, eight, eight day experiences. Um, we haven't even rolled out some of our adult programs yet on our website, but you know, check that out as it's, as it's coming. And what's kind of cool is we're totally customized. We visit our friends. We don't go down there playing Santa Claus saying, we're going to have an agenda. This is what we're going to do. We go down and ask them, you know, Hey, let's have food. And then let's talk about what are some of the needs? Oh, you need that to be painted. Or you want us to work with the children doing recreation or in their school drive some people nuts because we live in a different type of world where my phone, when I turn it back on after this, this podcast, it's going to tell me where I'm supposed to be in two hours. And they don't function that way at all. It drives you nuts, but I thrive <laughs> in that environment. Right. You, know, you say, give me directions and they don't have Google maps. They say, oh, it's just down the road. And that's all they say. Or when are you going to get started? Oh, in the afternoon. Nothing starts on time. We say it's inefficient. But to me, that's stepping out of your comfort zone. And that makes some people uncomfortable. But you know what? You know, life is about being uncomfortable. Amen it truly is. It, it truly is. And not in, a, not in an unsafe way, but it is. And, and I, we're so customized that I run everything myself. So I think there's, you know, some... Um, it's kind of a neat piece. Like, I want to mentor your kids. I want to be at your side as an adult leader. I want to introduce you to people I consider my friends because I am convinced they are going to become one of your friends. You know, um, and in contrast to the, to the hard work piece and the discomfort, um, so the name of this podcast is Undo Anxiety. I think we suffer way too much of it. Yet, I think the more we recognize um, the friends we have, on this planet, right? There are what eight billion of us, something like that. <laughs> right. And um, and I think you're saying, eh, if you if you got us all together in a room, we've got a lot in common, right? right. You know, we've got a lot. We all want some of the same things, whether we live in a landfill or we live in Mequon, Wisconsin, right? You know, um, and and I love that, and I suspect that you, um, not just undo some of the undue anxiety people are suffering there and here but you prevent it from ever happening. Mm -hmm. And um, and I honor you for, for all of it. 
Um, and, and again, I am humbled to have you here. I'm hoping you'll come back. Um, guys, that's Jeff Wensler, um, one of the most interesting, um, finest human beings you will ever hear from. Um, and uh, check him out and, and help him out and join him in, in his mission here and create pivotal moments in your life. This is the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I'm Dr. John Duffy. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Pod, iTunes Podbean, Stitcher, WGN+. Uh, if you have any thoughts about uh, topics or guests, John G. Duffy at drjohnduffy.com. As always, I appreciate the time and attention you give to us. On behalf of Jeff and my, myself, thanks so much. I will talk to you next time. <laughs>